And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 24 of the Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Frisbee Show, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hunter Pence, how are you doing today? I'm doing outstanding, Grant. How are you? I am doing very well. I'm doing very well. It has been uh, a week of baseball, and uh, I always look forward to September. There's a purity to September baseball where there's just so much to pay attention to, so much to follow. And I know that that's kind of, I like October. October's great. I especially love when there are four like uh, league divisional series games. You got two AL games, two NL games at the same day. And it's like nine o'clock in the morning to midnight baseball. I love that. But I also love September, just kind of floating around, picking, seeing different teams to watch. How are you doing this September? You know, September is like the culmination of everything. It's like we've we've done all of this work. All of these teams have the merry-go-round of who's hot and who's not. And you know, for a second, you're like, oh, the Yankees—they've won so many in a row. They're they're going, and then they you know, they kind of start cooling off. And out of nowhere, like teams are just like, you know, for instance, like the first half, like the Braves were just like, what happened to them? We couldn't explain it. We talked about it, and now like they're like. You know, almost look like a surefire going to win the division, except now the Phillies are coming. It's basically like the last round of the heavyweight fight, and you don't know who's won. And it's like, time to throw your haymakers out. And who are you really? And one of the craziest things, Grant, about every baseball season I've been in is like, you go through spring training, and your teams all have this plan. This is going to be our team. And then reality happens. And it's like, injuries happen. People, you know, start playing way better than you expected. People start playing way worse than you expected. And Every year in September, you're looking around, and you're like, we are not even close to what we thought we were going to be, but here we are, and, and it, it, you're a new team, and you're not exactly what everyone expected. So this is the last round of that heavyweight fight. Everyone's throwing haymakers, and I'm enjoying it. I love September. I've been a professional baseball writer for, yeah, I don't know, over a decade now. And every year, I have to I try to remind myself, like, you have no idea what's going to happen. No idea. 
Like you're going to come to September and you just, and every year I write these preview pieces in spring training, like, okay, you know, here's the rotation for uh, the Dodgers. Here's, here's the rotation for the Reds. Here's, here's my thoughts and here's what's going to happen. You don't know. Like all of a sudden you look up and, oh, Logan Webb is the ace of the Giants. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Logan Webb is the ace of the Giants. I mean, and then you adjust to that new reality and you've got like, oh, okay. And it's constantly surprising and evolving. And I wanted to ask you about September. Explain it for the listener. Explain it to me. It feels like every team right now is just gassed. And have you ever been on a team where you're looking around going, wow, we all feel pretty good. This is unique. Or is everyone on every team just going like, ah. You know what? Every year is different. And a lot of times, though, the only time you're going, ah, is if you're like, you're like expected to win and you're out of it. You're like six games out of it, and you're playing kind of 500 baseball. Like I've seen teams six, seven games out of it in September charge and 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 go off and and do kind of what the Blue Jays are kind of doing to us right now, and the Mariners are kind of in that window as well. So it really just kind of depends. Or like if you're completely out of it, sometimes that's actually exciting because then it's like a whole bunch of like you know, September call-ups, and, you know, they always say, like, watch out for the team that has nothing to lose, and they're trying to prove themselves, so a lot of times that can be fun, so September is actually a really exciting time, I know that they've changed the rules, but it used to be September call up so it became, like, spring training again, you would have, like, 40 people on your team again, and, like, it was always a fun time, so, but September is a crazy, crazy month, it's, it's literally, like, I, I don't know how to put it, but, like, almost like the senior year of, of high school and you're like kind of like just like finishing up and like if you've already like kind of made the playoffs you're like can we get this over with because I'm going to college and I got this business to do and like if you're out of it you're like you know you're getting ready for the vacation or the summer party or something I don't know how to explain it exactly but it is a the craziest month besides playoff baseball. Do you like the new September rules or did you like it when the rosters just blew up and you had like all sorts of randos from the 40 man roster on there? I liked the old way. I loved it. I didn't like the pitching changes every three seconds, but I liked seeing new guys just come through and go like, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy's on the team now. Let's see him pitch it. So I actually like the change and I'm going to tell you why. It's important that like the challenge and the grind of the season is what of, of the major league baseball season is what makes it so amazing. Now this might not be like completely smart in, in, in terms of like the he- overall health, because I do kind of worry about, you know, pitchers arms and like, you know, eating those innings is very difficult work and it's very demanding on, on the bullpen pitchers. That's the only reason I would be for like the huge rosters, but literally having like, all 40 men being called up by the teams that have big budgets and then other teams, you know, playing with like 29, 30 and literally like there was a lot of times and Boach took advantage of this and the Giants took advantage of this to the max. Like we had like 10 and, and they have also changed the pitching changes in each inning, but like it was three pitchers per inning, depending on if it was a righty or lefty for us for a couple of those playoff runs. And it's like, it's not exactly the way I think that major leagues was designed to be and they've already made that rule but to me it's like I want the challenge I want the gauntlet I want you to have to earn it and I want you to have to make very wise decisions instead of like we're going to give ourselves every option and use every tool available it makes for kind of a longer games and not really an even playing field if you ask me I like where it's like everyone's going to bring up 28 is actually enough to make it like a lot easier on the bullpen but then I'm also like 
you know me, Grant. Like, I love, like, Magic the Gathering. I love the thinking part of it. I love the X's and the O's. And this actually brings me to uh, my secret sauce that I was going to uh, bring to you. But, like, I love everyone having 28. It's it's the same for everyone. It's not this wild, wild west and um, just completely different baseball game. Uh, you know, I, I did enjoy it in winter ball. Like, you change your roster every day. So, it's like everyone who pitched to the bullpen yesterday is off. And we're bringing in a whole new bullpen. But it's a different style of game. And that's winter ball versus the actual season. So, you have to make really well thought out decisions you got to use all of your pieces and all of the rules and stretch them out to give yourself the edge and the advantage which everyone is doing but this brings me to the data as a player versus the data and the data mining and the solving the mathematical solving of the baseball equation as someone outside looking in so I wanted to bring this up to you, Grant. And I know like like when I'm on the outside, it's like all you really have to see if you can't watch every game, you know, you follow your team. But like to watch every game is almost impossible. And all you see is basically the numbers. So I can see now why on the outside you're like the data that is everything. But when you're playing every day, you feel Scherzer's slider. You feel... Tatis or Giancarlo Stanton up to bat and the presence that they bring and the pressure that they bring and how hard they hit the ball and you feel the defense uh, when you're robbed of like a Troy Tulowitzki at short you know like so you feel the energy behind what they do and you also feel the luck that a lot of players get where it's like blue pits just beat us and you know like this pitcher he did outstanding and just the situation it was like you know Tyler Rogers it was a you know they they killed some worms and they they dribbled some balls and uh, they you know a walk here and a bad call there so like you know the difference between like this guy's numbers don't show what he's actually doing and and usually eventually it will even out but I just wanted to like ask you about that. Like, is there any way to like evaluate it when you're not playing besides just the numbers? What statistics has morphed into. So when I first got into baseball writing, statistics was, hey, here are the numbers. It's money ball. It's on base percentage. You got to find the guys who takes take walks. And it was very, very reductive. A lot of the tenor of the conversation was arrogant. It was like, we well, you know better than these jerks in the front office. Since then, it's it's moved less like the numbers still count, but a lot of the numbers are based on like what actually happens on the field, not as, as in terms of we're trying to count uh, a player's value, but he is swinging at this fastball 36% of the time. He's chasing, you know, 17% of the time. Like it's data that's based on more physical technique and biomechanics. It's spin rate. It's stuff like that. So the numbers are aligning with, you know, like the physicality of the game a little bit more. It's not so much like, oh, here's his war. That's how good he is. It's like, no, he's reaching. And you can tell because, you know, here's his heat map. And now you can see him diving out over the plate. So it's a little bit like that. But I always think like it's it's reached a better balance to where you have to know you don't know anything, especially from the outside. You have to know, like I could read every statistic about a team, but when I'm watching a Giants game and I'm seeing Buster Posey, the way he looks up at the batter and how that batter is setting up, I don't know what he's looking at specifically for each batter, but I watch him and he waits and he waits and then he puts the pitch down. And that just reminds me, all right, he's got a feel. He's got he's got some some experience here that you know ten thousand hours in his brain that he's working through that I will never have. And to me, that's extra extra cool. And honestly, like I'm glad that I asked you that question because like hearing that data and like and knowing what I what I studied with the swing is like if your if your data is involved in a pitch selection, 
B, like what pitches he's hitting, like and 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 at what percentage? Because the whole biomechanics of the swing tech was about creating time, right? And and how you create time is how quick do you get your barrel to the zone, and how long does it stay through the zone, and can it match the different planes that the pitcher is throwing? So like. I guess if you like start mining that data and like I guess they have like hard hit contact percentage and stuff, but like even weighing that is kind of weird to me because like if I think of like and I know we we do a lot of the giant stuff, but I'm just gonna weigh the data and the biomechanics of like Brandon Crawford, where I've I've mentioned that I think that he had the hand eye coordination. You saw it defensively. You saw it with the gold gloves. He's just sure handed and spectacular as you can get. But the way he was swinging before and he had great eyes and knew what he was swinging at. But when he squared the ball up, he might have hit it harder, and it would have been a perfect line drive that you can go X, well, but this should be a hit every time. But for whatever reason, when he squared the ball up perfectly, it was like this incredibly difficult to hit hard line drive out to the left fielder. He changes the swing mechanics, he changes the path, and now he may not even hit the ball as hard, but the way that the barrel and how tight his hands are to his body when contact is coming through, and he's just created this longer window to hit the ball, and he's created more power with less effort, so now when he hits the ball good or even mishits it, he's hitting doubles and homers, and that adds up. So it's like, if they can find the data to mine who's doing that right, like, like how do you weigh, you know, I would like to see, like, Crawford's hard hit percentage in the two, but I know that he has a longer window to hit the ball hard. It's intimidating to me, or at least it was, because it was so easy back when I first started, because if a player had bad seasons, you would predict that he would continue having bad seasons. If a player had good seasons and he was in his you know late 20s, you would continue to predict good seasons. It all made so much sense. And now you, it seems like when you have a guy like Mike Yastrzemski and he starts doing uh, uh, bananas things, you don't think, oh, okay, well, this is going to stop. You start looking, well, why is this happening? And now you have the tools to go, okay, oh, his eye seems to be a lot better. Okay, he's not chasing. Like, when he had his breakout, uh, it was possible to really dive in and say, this is why this is happening. It's not sample size. It's not luck. It's not, you know, regression is not necessarily going to happen. So when it comes to someone like Brandon Crawford, you start looking at that stuff and, and you know, you talk to him. He's he's very, uh, he likes the coaching that Giants have as far as like, you know, they're throwing a lot of different ideas at you, a lot of different coaches. He had a little bit different stance where he's shaving millimeters off of that second to the ball, you know, where he's got the bat held up, you know, more straight. And now he's to the ball like a few milliseconds quicker and sometimes that that's all it takes and and with Crawford specifically I've got this weird theory I've never tested that really really good defensive shortstops like Omar Vizquel and Ozzie Smith and Brandon Crawford sometimes it takes a while for them to unlock but they've always had the hand-eye coordination to be excellent excellent hitters and sometimes in their 30s they find it but they're so good at everything they do with the muscle memory and stuff like it's easier for them at some point. Yeah, they are the ultimate athletes. To be the shortstop is is incredibly difficult and challenging. It's like, how do you predict that? How do you predict when that's going to happen? That's what's what's kind of been cra- crazy. And like, I think this is also like something that's almost psychological. Where you go, like they'll say, like like when you succeed, you celebrate. So you have this great season, you celebrate, you relax, you think you got it. You're like ah, but you forget all of the work that was put into. That and and the fire, I called it like soul power. The soul power it takes to like win a World Series or have this like magnificent season. A lot of times, your soul power is fueled by the pain of failure. So a lot of times, someone that like you may discard, oh, this guy's just not good, had a bad season, whatever. And this is where it's like consistency 
And this leads into kind of the Hall of Fame stuff, actually, is having consistency and being great for a long time is one of the most challenging things because that means even when you do great, and I think this is even like going into Kobe Bryant, like what made him so crazy is like he would win a championship and it wasn't enough. It was like, I'm practicing tomorrow. You know, there was no celebration. There was no relax. There was no window because the tendency in psychology is like when you when you succeed to celebrate and relax and not put in the work and when when you fail to go to work on like how to fix this so like predicting that is crazy but talk to me about like a consistent long career someone like an Albert Pujols who we just saw you know going back to to St. Louis and hit a homer in his first at bat back which is insane I think it is hard to overvalue what to do something for decades, right? And so we're talking, uh, you know, I'm not going to wax rhapsodic about Ted Simmons, uh, because I never really watched Ted Simmons, at least not in depth. Uh, He's going in the Hall of Fame. I can look at his career 21 years as a catcher, as a switch hitting catcher. I look at the stats. It, It amazes me that he wasn't in the Hall of Fame before. And just because I think catchers their job is to get beat up. Their job is to just get ground into a powder. And for the catchers that get to last until, you know, their mid-30s and they're still hitting a little bit, they're still doing the field general stuff. When you're talking Carlton Fisk getting into, you know, 40s, like that to me is one of the most amazing things in baseball is just being a catcher and having that longevity. I think when it comes to Hall of Fame, catchers get a little bit of a, a short shrift because they get beat up so much. That's the job. And so when a catcher does it, uh, it's especially impressive to me. Yeah, catchers are the quarterbacks, but they like take the most abuse. Like just imagine all of these foul tips hitting fingers. Like any catcher that you ever see, you look at their like their fingers at the end and they're just like some of them are look like sausages and it's like the rest, you know, it's just like they get they're complete How do you even hold the bat? I don't know. They and it's like does your body get used to getting nicked in the elbow and the toe and you know like and apparently it does like you get used to just having crazy bruises because every one of those balls that hits you hurts immensely it's breaking toes it's breaking fingers and sometimes they play through that stuff it's it's actually pretty incredible any catcher in the big leagues over a long career catchers is one of the things where i i can't process it but also when it comes to Pitchers, like a pitcher's longevity, like when Burt Blylevin got in and people were like, oh, he was never dominant. He was never a Cy Young. But to me, like a pitcher, when he's lasting for 20 years, like I will give that so much credit because especially when the pitcher has to reinvent himself and, you know, he starts out throwing 95 miles per hour and then the shift happens. I mean, I, you know, Adam Wainwright right now is much different than Adam Wainwright back then. It's very rare that you get like a Nolan Ryan who just is going to pump 100, you know, until he's 40 or whatever. Max Scherzer is a little bit of a freak in that respect. Like, He's pitching not that much differently as far as stuff than than when he was in his 20s. But when a pitcher lasts for a decade, two decades, that is extra cool to me as well. Yeah, it, what we're seeing from Scherzer is 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 absolutely insane. Uh, it is like the the you know the generational like every generation has one or two of these that just keep going and and keep doing it for such a long time. Like like a Nolan Ryan and a Max Scherzer and an Adam Wainwright. But Adam Wainwright's kind of been the the reinventor, and granted, it's still the big curveball. It's still sinkers and, and cutters and sliders, but he just has immaculate command, immaculate knowledge of hitter swings and how to compete and how to battle and how he how to perfect missing barrels. And he's just an incredible competitor and and just an absolute 
just remarkable career. But you said something to me that I don't really know the answer to this. And like people will ask me all the time, like, is he a Hall of Famer? Is he like, what is the credentials? Like, it's just voted on by writers. Like, what are the exact, like, do we have definitive standards? And like, like, for instance, even like, you know, Larry Walker and playing at Coors before the humidor and like comparing like their stats to someone who's like, say, played in San Diego their whole career back when it was like just a, a huge, huge ballpark. I don't know. They, they made it a lot more hitter friendly now. Or even like a Barry Bonds who, who played in San Francisco for a long time. So how, how do we decide the, all of these different variables? We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. There was a long time on the internet when people would, would love to argue about Jack Morris, right? Because Jack Morris, he doesn't have the greatest nerd case. He doesn't have the, the nerd stats behind him. But he had a, the support of some people who said, no, no, no. He's, he is uh, important because of this reason, that reason, this reason. And people love to argue about it. And I wrote a column a long time ago saying, look, it's to me a museum that tells the story of the game. Did this player, can you tell the story of the 80s? the 90s without Jack Morris? Can you tell the story of the uh, 2000s without Larry Walker? Maybe yes, maybe no. If 75% of the writers think that you cannot, then, you know, if I'm in the 25% that says, yeah, you can tell the story without this player, I'll back off because it's like, okay, you know, the majority rules here, you guys saw something I didn't, that's why we do it like this. So to me, it's, can you tell the story without this player? It's less about the stats and I'm a, a big numbers guy. But at the same time, it's more like before I looked at Zach Greinke's stats, I in my head said, you can't tell the story of baseball without Zach Greinke or Joey Votto. And then you look at the stats and a lot of times, most of the time, they're going to align. The stats will be right there with that feeling. So it's not like one or the other. Usually they, they kind of go hand in hand. Okay. So I'm so glad that I got to talk to you about this because I've never understood that clearly or had it defined and that makes it way more fun because I always felt like there's a lot of people that argue and are like, don't deserve it, does deserve it, don't deserve it. And I'm just like, well, how do we know? And like, I, I, that definition, like, does it tell the story of that generation? Like, can you tell it without them? And like, obviously, I think I'm super excited. Like, Larry Walker 100% deserves his reason he got in. He's great. I just like, I like discussing the different variables uh, that go into it. I think more people should be put in than, than are put in. So I guess I get like a little turned off when they're like, oh, he didn't do enough here, there. And I'm like, man, it's really hard to do all of that. <laughs> yeah. And I love like the more stories and the more people that you put in, the more fun it is to celebrate them. And, and it's what a lot of these past players were able to do was was pretty remarkable and i love actually hearing the stories so that 
makes it way more fun for me. And I mean, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue Derek Jeter going into the Hall of Fame. Right. Sometimes it, it's obvious. And now, like, the argument on Twitter right now is, is Derek Jeter overrated? And I have no oh patience my for gosh. that. I know. I have no <laughs> patience. Like, like, if you're going to rate him with Mays and Aaron as far as, like, you know, talent, as not talent, but statistical contributions, he's going to come up short. It's still just you're thinking about a player who's been with this team forever. They won this many championships. He was there the whole time. It just doesn't happen that often. And like, I could see how you'd want to like, you know, nitpick on statistics. But just the idea of pretend it's not the Yankees if you're a Yankees hater. Pretend it's just some dude on the Twins. Just to be there for that long, doing what he did, winning that many championships, having that many moments cool as hell you know the last time the yankees were under 500 they used that pick to get Derek jeter that's how long ago they haven't finished with a, a losing record like so he's been a part of that entire thing that tells the story of an entire franchise and baseball if you're gonna go and like argue like was Derek jeter better than you know willie mays the babe ruth the best like the best ever like He's a surefire Hall of Famer, and he was the face of baseball for so long. You cannot tell the story of like his 20-some years that he was playing without mentioning Derek Jeter. He was the forefront of everything. Like I was just at the Little League World Series like doing the Home Run Derby, and kids are still like, my favorite player is Derek Jeter, and my favorite play was when he did the thing against Oakland. And like, you know, it's just like... <laughs> Like, they didn't even probably see him play, like, maybe, but for their first five, six years of their life. And I don't even know how they know this stuff. Like, but he's that much of the story of baseball that kids that haven't even watched him. And, like, uh, another one that's really cool, uh, I know that this and, and Hall of Fame, but Pete Rose is still a lot of people's favorite player because of mentality, the hit king. So, I mean, I'm not going to go and, like, be any doing any of this pushing, but I just love that. Pete Rose is still some kid's favorite player that never watched him play. They've just seen highlights. Yeah. I mean, it's mentality and it is, and that's what I'm talking about. And I'm a big call guy, so I can be convinced. Like if you're going to tell me, okay, Fred McGriff, he was so feared. He was this, he was that. At first I'll go, I'm not sure about Fred McGriff. And you might get me. And I am right now. Like, hell yeah, Fred McGriff. Like that guy was doing it for X number of years. He's a part of the feeling of baseball in the 90s. And and like he is a dude. And Larry Walker's another guy I came around to because I would follow and be, ah, oh, Coors Field. Oh, he got, you know, he didn't play 162 games every year. And people would convince me like, no, 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 this guy is a story about baseball. And when you, they have nerd stats to neutralize his statistics, like make it seem like he's away from Coors Field. He would still be, if you trust these uh, translations, like a 320 hitter, like, you know, just a yeah, really. That's, that's insane. Yeah, he's bananas insane. hitter, is fast, defense, the arm, you know, and it convinced me like, yeah, okay, this guy is like, he's a guy. He is it's a, someone who tells the story of baseball. So it's a big haul guy. It's all about, can you tell the story with a guy like that? And for the most part, I'm very open. It's like, yeah, he gets in, he gets in. Like everyone gets a car. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. <laughs> exactly. This is how I like to look at like a lot of those. Is I'm like, double his road stats and like i know that that it's not this for that and like you can't like actually do that but I, for whatever reason i always want to see their road stats and double them and like like where does that line up but no larry walker just uh very very incredible and, and there's so many stories of him that i've heard throughout my career of him just being a really funny guy and i'm going to tell this story and it was just told by me from someone else and it was like apparently he gets out from some pitcher that he didn't deem, you know, that like had never gotten him out. And he's like, "Well, you know how I knew I could, it was time to retire. You know, so and so got me out." Like, and you're just like, "What? You're that good that like some big league pitcher?" But I, like, it's just legendary. And it might, you know, you, like you look at even like Freddie Freeman, and like I've seen him face a couple position players, and they keep striking him out. I'm like, you know what? The way to get Freddie Freeman out is just throw it 58 up there like a softball. That's the only way. But this leads me kind of to things that like are fun to chase in baseball. And honestly, hit streak is one of my favorite things in all of baseball. And we haven't seen like a really big hit streak in a long time. But we have shortstop of the Rays, Wander Franco, like, and he's been like the number one prospect of baseball for forever. Now surpassing Mickey Mantle. For under 20, reaching base safely and now 36, is it 36 or 37 games? That is, as of this recording, it is 37 games. That's insane. That's exciting. And he did it with a walk to surpass Mickey Mantle in like the seventh inning or eighth inning. Like hit streaks are going to, when people say DiMaggio isn't going to be broken, I agree with that, at at least as far as like the modern game is. Like there's too much swing and miss because, you know, for obvious reasons, it's it's more valuable to hit the ball hard and far than it is to slap one to the, the right side. People have figured this out. Everyone's swinging and missing a lot more. The front offices are okay with it. It's going to be very, very hard to get like a 400 hitter again, if not impossible on base streaks are just as cool to me. Like, I think it's not making it out, which is the job of a hitter, is to not make an out. And right now, you have teams weaponized like never before, specifically to get you out. 
they have more more data they have more information more people working on it more databases and brain power to get you out you they are the enemy of you and every time you get on base it's kind of like a you know a little obscene gesture toward them like nah you can't do that and so when you're getting on base x number of games in a row you're doing something right x number of games in a row especially when you're 20 years old that's freaky yeah, very freaky. But at the same time, when you say that, there's all of this data, blah, 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 to get you out. There's the same to hit the pitcher. <laughs> that's true. And we have all of the same data. And, you know, and that that's where it's like mono versus mono. And it's a competition, you know, every single day. And I always loved Jake Peavy, who was a tremendous command pitcher, especially late in his career. Obviously, he had the power stuff. But he did a lot with, like, just like 89, 90, 91 you know, sinker, slider, change of curveball, location, location, location. He did a, had some great years not being like the superpower, kind of like Wainwright-esque. But, you know, you're going to miss a couple spots and then they're going to be like, you know, you give up a homer here and there and like, you know, going six innings, giving up three runs is considered a quality start. But he'll just be like, yeah, I missed my spot. But you go out there and throw 100 pitches exactly where you want them. Like that's like even the professionals are human and they're, they're going to have errors. And there's going to and that's what like being able to foul pitches off and being able to, you know, or even if, if like, let's say you're even facing the best of the best and what Wander Franco's doing, you know, cheat, like look for like take away one side of the plate and you can guess right. So that's why I think that these things are still possible. I still think there could be another like Ichiro that comes out that's like this super fast guy that can steal bases and get hits and it there's still a place for that and someone that has some crazy hand-eye coordination you know, we talked about Nick Madrigal in, in a show a while ago and you know he has this like contact swing that could turn into something. We don't know where he's going to go with with that kind of skill set. But I do think that there's still a place for fast players and getting on base as well. I agree. And I think that when people, when on-base percentage was on-base percentage, on-base percentage, and and I get why it's more important than, than batting average. But what I wanted to keep reminding people is that batting average is fun. Like batting average, when you're hitting 400, you are making your crowd cheer more. You are doing a happy, fun time baseball event more often than the other guy. And so I love batting average as I can look at it and go, oh, he was fun this year. It might not be the same thing as, oh, he's going to do this exactly the same way next year. But, oh, this guy is fun this year. Like this, he's been fun to watch. And I do think like Shohei Otani has broken my brain and he's broken baseball's brain because all of a sudden you've got a guy who can pitch and hit at the same time, right? It's something you've never seen before. And eventually, there might be a guy who comes and breaks your brain with bat control. Like, he's not going to come up and have the yuckadoo swing and try and hit the ball over the fence. And he's somehow going to be this masterful Ichiro type, but in a way that's, like, uh, combined with next-level data and, you know, like someone we can't even contemplate now. And that guy is probably in the wings somewhere. And when he comes, it's going to be fun as hell. Yes, indeed. We don't know when the next, you know, Fernando Tatis or, and like, this is just like a, a crazy town. I, I saw some stat where they like said is like his first thousand at bats or something. He has like the same amount of homers as Barry Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr. combined. And he was, it, it's not like he was in the big leagues at a very old age. Like what, how old was he when he made the big leagues? Like 19, 20, like maybe even 18. I don't remember exactly. What the heck do we have to expect if he can stay healthy? So there's so many crazy talents and just like, yeah, t- like talk to me a little bit. 
Because I want to jump to the Mets and Pete Alonso hitting 100 homers. Obviously, he came from you know college, a, a little bit of an older guy. But just that stat with Tatis and how young he was, it, it, it's crazy. Because Pete Alonso, the only person to reach 100 homers quicker was Ryan Howard. And I'm not sure, because Tatis hasn't gotten there, he might blow this out of the water. It seems like baseball is trending more towards these freaky young players like Juan Soto, uh, Bryce Harper when he was uh, Mike Trout. I don't know, like I haven't run the numbers, but it seems like there are more of these guys just hitting the ground running and going like, ta-da, I'm fully formed. As opposed to, oh, you know, I think about Matt Williams when he came up and, you know, his first year, oh, lots of strikeouts, barely get over the Mendoza line, lot to learn, kid. Next year, you know, he grinds a little bit harder and and he's a little bit better. And then one year he breaks out and he's, you know, in his early mid-20s and that's the natural progression of things. Feels like now you have a guy like Wander Franco who's just like, yeah, ta-da, I'm here, and you can't get me out. And it's, it has a lot to do, I think, with the data and the biomechanics and all that stuff. And just the players are better. They're always going to be better. They're going to start younger. They're going to play year-round. They're going to have academies. They're going to do all this stuff. And it's going to make it easier for a player like Tatis to just show up, especially when he's you know second-generation player who has the DNA combined with the mindset, combined with realistic expectations. And it's just, ta-da, you know, fully formed. It's, it's really freaky. Yeah, it really is. But so are the pitchers fully formed when they yeah. get to the big leagues. Gotcha. Like they have complete command of like, you know, seventeen pitches, and like they're cutting <laughs> it. Their change ups and splitties are are all good. So it's like it's a two way street. And the players today are, I think, they're way better than when I, you know when I was there. Way better than me, obviously. But they're just the information age, the work, the talent. I don't know. Like it's so fun to watch right now. And. Like Tatis just blows my mind. Jacob Degrom blows my mind. Pete Alonso's power blows my mind. Uh, I just saw him hit two homers. To hit a hundred was like a ninety-eight mile an hour pitch. And I looked at the glove because, like, they have the box there. And I looked at the glove of where they were looking for this pitch, and it was the top of the zone. And like Pete Alonso's hands aren't that high; they're kind of low, and he's very relaxed. This was ninety-eight. He caught a little bit more. Like it was like inner third versus like inside corner but like if you looked at where the glove was placed it maybe was a half an inch to an inch that he moved it back and Alonzo just launches this ball they're just like everyone's throwing that hard and 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 when I in 2019 when I went to double a I remember facing the the Padres bullpen in double a on a rehab stint and I faced 102 from one pitcher. Everyone was 97 plus, And I was just like, okay, so these kids are coming up facing, like everyone's throwing way harder and, and just like they're all, it's just a higher level right now. Can you date yourself as far as when you were a prospect, when you're coming up trying to make the big leagues, did you see a ton of like three, one changeups, three, two changeups? Or was that something that, because it feels to me, if you can't throw a three, one changeup right now, where you want it, you're not making the big leagues. But when I was growing up, three, one was a fastball count. You're going to get a fastball. You know, you're going to get a fastball. Everyone knows you're going to get a fastball. Unless you're Greg Maddox, you're not throwing a three, one changeup. So did you see that like as you were growing as a hitter, pitchers who could throw anything in any count? Here's the thing is like not necessarily because a lot of times like 
you know, back then it was a lot of like the fastball is your best pitch and you're scared if you don't, you know, if you can't throw a fastball for a strike here. If you walk, walking someone with an off-speed pitch back in the day was like the ultimate, you're scared on the mound. And nowadays you're scared if you, if you are afraid to walk someone with an off-speed pitch. Like, you know, they almost are like, we're okay with you walking people, just don't give up the homer, you know, kind of thing. But obviously you still don't want to walk people, but you cannot allow the hitter to pigeonhole you on one pitch. And you have to prove that by throwing off speed when you're behind in the count. That's the only way to not allow them to like completely pigeonhole you on a fastball. And I've seen young pitchers come up and like a lot of times a catcher won't have confidence in their off speed for a strike. And they've been in the minor leagues with their catchers that know them and they succeed with like, you know, sliders or change ups behind in the count. And then they come to the big leagues and now all of a sudden this catcher doesn't know him and is like, forcing him to throw fastballs when the hitters are just jumping on it. So they don't quite have the success right away because they haven't gained that trust. So, But I think teams have realized, no, we have to make sure that these pitchers coming up can throw an off-speed in any count and can't be cornered, basically. Now, walk me through. So let's say it's 2019. You are hitting the snot out of the ball. You've got a left-handed pitcher on the mound you've never seen before. It's a 3-1 count. Are you still thinking like probably fastball or are you just prepared for the kitchen sink? And what would be your plan in that situation in 2019? Man, you know, it's going to depend on a lot, the state of the game and and whatnot. I I remember left-handed closer for the Pirates through 101. And it was, I feel like I had an at-bat off of him that was like bases loaded, tying run on third. And he had me at 3-1. And he threw me like three or four straight change-ups. It was just like change-up, change-up, change-up. Because like, I, I think he kept like throwing his fastball for a ball. And so he just was like, all right, I'm just going to throw change-ups. And I don't remember if I struck out or grounded out, but I was just like, damn. That dude was just straight like, mm, I'm going to throw change-ups here. <laughs> but were you like prepared? Like you were just... I was, pre- I was surprised for sure. Okay, okay. So there's still that kind of inkling of... You know, I'm going to look fastball, react. You know, if I don't get it, I'm not going to swing it on 3-2. Maybe I'll react to something that's not... Bases loaded, three balls, tying run on third. I'm probably thinking a fastball's coming. It's a a lot of adrenaline going on there. But once again, it depends on the pitcher. And, you know, there was also times where I was sitting on a changeup or an off-speed behind an account. I actually do remember my rookie year. I had a tremendous amount of success because... I would like 2-0 look slider and just be like, I'm going to get a front door slider here. I, I was very always very comfortable looking off. I actually was better looking off speed and reacting to a fastball. And I just kind of had this thought, like, these people don't know me. There was way less information. This is like 2007. And I was like, they're going to think I'm this young hitter that just hits fastballs because I take a huge hack. And so I was like, I'm just going to sit on off speed up here and like, because most of them are going to be like, can you hit off speed? And so I had a tremendous amount of success just being a little bit ahead of the curve there, like knowing that they're not going to just try to beat this young kid up with fastballs. And I punished a lot of off speed when I first got up there. Yeah, you sound like a master rock, paper, scissors player. Like you you just had that. (laughs) I I would say I was not a master rock, paper, scissors player, but that year I had the right idea. And then it's like one series you'll crush off speed and then they're going to just pound you with fastballs in. And then you get to where you're hitting the fastball in and then they're back to off speed and away. And so it's like this constant adjustment. But I was a very big gambler throughout my career. I tried to, you know, cut off corners of the plate, look for things, hunt things. and But yeah, that's definitely what, what it was for me. Uh, because I didn't have the swing mechanics that I learned later in my career. All right. You know, before we leave, I know that you want to talk about 
teams in the wildcard race. I know you're itching. You've got things you've seen, players you, you've you been noticing. So I'm going to open the floor for Hunter's state of the MLB. What are you seeing? What's on your mind right now? This isn't like my state of the MLB. Like I'm literally <laughs> like I'm that data guy. I'm just looking at the numbers because I'm not watching every game. I'm following obviously a lot of the Giants and and that Giants Dodger series was insane. And the Giants were kind of reeling a little bit, a couple tough things. They got hit a little bit with COVID and all of that. You know, the Brewers, they came in and put it on them a little bit, but then they answered with that that series and it's a one, you know, a one game difference between the two and it's going to be an, an exciting September there. But as far as the wild card, I'm just loving watching the Padres and, you know, the Reds just battle it out back and forth. The Phillies are, are just the fighting Phils right now. Cardinals somehow snuck in and, and, and there. And the Mets are, like, now finally kind of, like, surging after the whole boo thing. And um, <laughs> they're locking it in a little bit. So I'm just enjoying it's like It's like just grabbing a bunch of paint and throwing it on the on, on a canvas and, like, seeing what happens. It's like kind of – I just feel like we're in that – just that crazy parade, like, mosh pit of, like – everyone's throwing every haymaker and like like to me the blue jays which we brought up earlier is the team that i'm just like where'd you come from and i love that like smoke and mirrors just like just like sneaking in out of nowhere and it's like hey we're here come and get it and they're pitching good they're hitting good they have the talent and to me their whole season is just wild like being in buffalo and like you said you brought up talk about a little bit about marcus Simeon. talk to me about your thoughts on all of these wild card races With the Blue Jays, the point that you make that I constantly forget is that they have had complete outlier of a season where they are, you know, not playing uh, in Toronto all year, where they are playing in Buffalo or Florida. Like, you know, they've had a couple of years of weirdness to where they have not been able to Look, Toronto's the place where Jose Bautista flipped a bat to the moon, right? And he did that because he was feeling the crowd. That crowd was going, you know, ape. At that moment, that was a loud, loud, uh, passionate crowd. And Toronto is a good baseball town. And they haven't been able to feel that. Like the whole Vlad Jr. thing has been happening away from that for the most part. So to get back there... I wish I were smarter because I would have said, I would have expected it. I would have said, oh, once they're back, they'll they'll start feeling it and they'll they'll go in a little bit of a tear. But I didn't see it coming because I just I, it's hard for me to remember. Like, oh yeah, this is not a typical couple of baseball seasons for them. I would say like maybe a month ago or something, we were like, yeah, the the the, the Blue Jays, you know, they're kind of out of it. We said that, and we got to own that. They're not out of it. They're very much in it, and they're very, they're very scary if they do get in. The Yanks, you know, and the Red Sox. It's good. This is like, if if there's anything you take from listening to this podcast, and we love you listening to the podcast, is get in and know that you do not know, and enjoy that you <laughs> right. do not know, because that's what's going to be sweet about this September and this playoffs, because everyone is, and everything is changing. Yeah, that is like rule number one of not just being a baseball writer or a baseball analyst, but just being a baseball fan. It's like, dude, you don't know. One second, it's like, you're just, uh, oh, what's going on? It's like, oh, Cedric Mullins is like, he's a superstar now for the Orioles. Like, surprise, like that's going to be one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Cedric Mullins. The season that... that puts the icing on the cake and this is what I want to leave with is 2006 Cardinals and I remember because I was in the minors with the Astros and the Astros were blitzing their way back and they were like about to make the playoffs and the Cardinals were reeling reeling they were they like lost like every game they did everything but 
everything they could to not win the division. And they end up winning by one game because I believe it was like Smoltz or something comes back on the last day of the season and just absolutely shuts down the, the Astros. And they lose by one game. So you're like, ah, oh, the Cardinals, there's no way they're going to do anything. They couldn't win a game in September. They go on to win the World Series. They just like somehow Weaver comes in and they just like clutch up. So it's like you can't actually figure it out if that doesn't tell you and then on top of that they had another one in 2011 when they knocked out my Phillies and and not to just like jump into the Cardinals bandwagon but they were so far out of the playoff picture and they come in crazy hot barely get it on the last day that was the game 162 and then they knock out our like I would argue the most talented team I ever played on the 2011 Phillies with Roy Holiday, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, Roy Oswalt, like the best staff ever. Utley, Howard in a 40 homer season. Uh, myself in my young prime, Rollins Victorino. Like it just get Brad Lynch was on that team too. It was so talented, and they just knocked us off because they were hot. That's what's great about baseball. Anyone can win, all shapes and sizes. Go enjoy the game. Get nasty with it. I'm seeing a lot of people just go, Padres, man, it was a good season, but you're done. You're done. They're so not. Now. Nobody's it's, done. I mean, here's a team. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about this team, but it's uh, uh, the 2014 Giants outscored in June, outscored in July, outscored in September. Right. So you're limping a little bit. Had the big lead, had the big lead in May. We've talked about this team a lot. You get to the wild card game and you don't even get to host the wild card game. You fell with that huge division lead to where you have to go on the road. No one. Come on. Why do you even try in that situation? You're not going to win. We were the last ranked team in the playoffs and like barely got there. And yeah, 2014 World Series champs, the San Francisco Giants. You got to go play the games. You got to go get out there and get nasty. And any, it's anyone's ball game. It always is. It's baseball. It's crazy. It's a funny sport. It's a funny sport. All right. This has been episode 24 of the Baseball Barista. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week and uh, we'll know what's going on in these races and we'll talk about baseball because that's what we do. Thanks so will much for know? listening. <laughs> that's a good point we won't know we won't know anything you know but thanks for listening anyway I love coffee <laughs> hey baseball fans this is Derek Van Riper now that spring training games are underway opening day is just a few weeks away Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.